Hello listeners, this is Lee Price. This is Will Ford from Football365. And you're listening, smartly, to At, At The, the Bridge, Bridge Pod, Pod, a Chelsea, Chelsea FC podcast. podcast, although I would describe it as THE Chelsea FC Podcast. What's up everyone, you're listening to At The Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. World champions, that's it, you can say it over and over, Chelsea complete club football by lifting the Club World Cup, and we're going to break it all down next. Welcome back everyone to another episode of At The Bridge Pod, it's Saturday night and we are live-ish, sort of anyway, uh, maybe one day a live show will happen, maybe. But Chris and I, we're, we're both sitting down. We're going to be discussing the Club World Cup final because it was, it might have been a terrible 120 minutes, but um, overall, the result, I'm sure we're pretty happy with it. Uh, how are you since we last spoke on Friday? Uh, I'm quite tired today, um, <laughs> to be fair. Uh, it's a bit, it feels a bit weird to be recording on, on a different day. Uh, I know, it's, it's weird to have birth out for two days in a row, but he'll be back, he'll be back soon. Yeah, um, that is weird. I'm looking forward to when he returns and... Because it's going to be a quietish week with no midweek action. I might do a little bit of a quiz on on the upcoming Friday. But we're here because Chelsea Chelsea are world champions. I mean, hell yeah. I mean, Chelsea 2, Palmeiras 1 after extra time. I mean, we're going to celebrate the positives here. Because Azpilicueta, Chris, surely one of the greatest signings in our history. Am I right? Well, I, I was thinking about that earlier, actually. And it was a question I was going to ask. He could be our best ever signing. Now, that's a bold Ooh, statement, but big when, statements. when you consider that he has won every available trophy that he can win, and mm. he only cost £7 million, add into the fact as well that he's played, I think they said yesterday, he's played a minimum of 40 games in every season he's been with us, which is incredible. Oh, wow. He's played right-back, left-back, right-wing-back, centre-back. Honestly, I don't think I don't think you can overstate how important he's been in the the ten years he's been with us. No, I, I mean, what a player! I mean, was it seven million or something silly? Seven million—that is an absolute steal. It's, he has he has completed football. You know, he signed for us in, in August of 2012. We just won the Champions League, and I don't think in ten years he's. To be fair, not just him, but look at what we've won under Abramovich as well. I mean, that's twenty years, but roughly just 20 years every trophy every trophy possible we've won that's that's amazing i think that is that is incredible an incredible achievement to do what some football clubs wouldn't do in 100 years to do it less than 20 years i mean yeah unbelievable achievement i mean for me oh go on i think sorry i think that does come as well though from the ruthlessness of Abramovich. Like I know he gets mm. a, like he does get some stick for sacking so many managers, but he never settles for anything less than winning. And I think that's why I don't think you achieve what we have in in 19 years under him if he's happy to accept second place or going out of competitions early. And so many clubs since he took over have tried project rebuilds and all that sort of thing. And they're still looking to win trophies now. Tottenham are a prime example. Arsenal, you know, they win a couple of FA Cups, but major honours and, and, and league titles, they've been nowhere near because they they always accepted that mediocrity and Abramovich never has. So although I don't always agree with his some of his manager sackings, yeah. can't fault his results. 
I, I completely agree. I mean, really, I mean, we've been as ruthless as ruthless can be. I mean, almost like Watford level. We haven't had three managers in a season yet. I hope that never happens. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I'll pull up about Azpilicueta, though, the penalty incident. You know, he holds onto the ball, making Palmeiras think that he's the penalty taker. He had me convinced, to be fair, because I was thinking, this is beautiful story if he does it. But I thought, oh, man, do we have a recognised penalty taker on the pitch now with everyone that's gone off and who's not on the field? But he gets all the stick from the Palmeiras team because we know they were going to do that. It makes complete sense to put him off. And then he just hands the ball to Kai. I was like, oh, that was well played. That, yeah, that's that's an incredible leadership thing because that's something that he's took on himself. He, that's not a, a pre-rehearsed thing that you would do because you'd never think to plan that in that scenario because that scenario is so unlikely that... You know, Jorginho and Lukaku would both be off the pitch. So, Azpilicueta would take the ball to take the pressure off whoever is going to take the penalty. Because if it was Jorginho or Lukaku, we wouldn't have done it. Because both of them are established penalty takers who would would have dealt with that anyway. So, that is something he's thought to do in the moment. And it, it shows his importance. Now, I think we've all said, we've all agreed that it's not, Azpilicueta is not in his prime anymore. And when he plays in certain positions, especially wing-back, he's not as effective as he once was. Mm. And while I still think it probably is the right time for him to move on, it is those little things that are so difficult to replace. You can, you, we'll, we'll probably sign a better player in terms of one more in their peak now to replace him. But that character and that leadership it's so hard to replace. And I think that's what people don't realise sometimes when these big players do leave. It's not about replacing their quality all the time. It's about replacing their personality. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly it. You know, it's it's we've seen it in history, just how dressing room voices can contribute so much to a winning mentality. I mean, you look at the, the, the Man United era with Fergie. Yeah, but you had the leaders like you had Roy Keane in there. You know what that voice could do. And then obviously after that, you had Vidic, you had Ferdinand, then voices. Chelsea as well, we had John Terry, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba, Petr Cech as well. All yeah. big voices. And I think as well, Arsenal, Patrick Vieira, another voice. And you'd argue maybe to a point Thierry Henry, but the voices in the dressing room and that captain winning at all costs mentality can push a team into the, the next level. And we've been very blessed to have some amazing talent in our side. Uh Look, maybe I'm just petty, but the best part of this part of this game was probably seeing how mad the Palmeiras players and coaches were getting. I mean, look, they spent half the game on the ground, and once we started doing similar, they they got they got really annoyed. I mean, look, the red card at the end was probably just the cherry on top, and as soon as they went to the AR, I did think, what what did we do wrong? Because you always have that feeling when whenever it's a final, whenever it's VAR, you're like, we did something wrong, we we screwed up here, haven't we? But look. It, it was good enough for today. We didn't look great, though. We didn't look great. Um, on that with VAR, though, it was it was really well used in the game, I must say. I mean, did Thiago Silva, was he guilty of a handball offence? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm going to sit on the fence and get splinters because I, I don't know. Is it by the letter of the law, handball? Uh, it's so, it's difficult. I don't know. What, what do you think on that? Well, I think the Thiago Silva handball is more of a handball than the penalty we got. I'll be honest. I I think the silver one is just because his arm is so high above his head. Now, yeah. it, it is nudged slightly higher by the player who backs into him to win the ball. But I don't know why he's jumping with his arms in the air. You're always asking for trouble. Um, 
the penalty we got, again, his arm is slightly raised, but the distance between him and Azpilicueta is so short that I actually thought that was a, a really harsh decision. If that had been given against us, I would have been fuming. I mean, uh, it's, I guess it's blocking the ball, isn't it? And would that yeah, have gone in? Yeah. yeah, there's a good chance. Yeah, um, but I thought VAR was really good. I, I thought the I thought the actual official, the referee, wasn't very good at all. I, mm. uh, he was he was very very inconsistent, like slight pushes. Sometimes he was giving, sometimes he wasn't. Little touches that really aren't fouls. He he liked giving them a lot, but then more aggressive battles for the ball. He wasn't giving. I I didn't think he had a great game. But the use of VAR was incredible. Like not only you could you could make a case for arguing against the decisions that they got to, but they got to them within like twenty seconds. There was none of this long faffing about. It was the VAR's looking at it, he's made a decision, the referee's gone to the screen, he's made a decision, and we've moved on. And yeah. that's how VAR should be used. I thought that was probably the real winner of the game, actually. Mm, I think that's that's very fair. Uh, well, I've got to admit, one thing that I found quite funny was with the commentator that I had on my stream. It, he called Palmeiras Corinthians a fair few times, and then he called uh, Thiago Silva Kovacic. Malong Star was Rudiger at some points. Uh, Havertz was Mount. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, oh dear. <laughs> it's just a quick bit of research, doesn't it? Um, look, the negatives. There is negatives. I mean, oh, I mean, wow. This podcast could have been so different if we'd lost that game. Uh, I'll bring up the negative, and there was a fair bit. The performance it was terrible. Sorry, sorry. Listen, if you disagree. Please let us know because I'd love to know why you don't think it's terrible and you might have a strong point. Um, I'm going to know injuries probably being a key to this, but we keep saying that. But it kind of scares the shit out of me how poor we are right now. But we still win, and that sort of papers over the cracks. But what what could we what can we do with this? Because I don't know. I'm I'm really concerned, uh, mainly because I think we have got to be very careful that we don't slip into the Man United. Um, why of things going mm. because really Man United since um, probably since Mourinho left there wasn't a great team under Mourinho but they, they still won some stuff but probably since Mourinho left they have been playing incredibly poorly for the large part minus little spells where they have a good run of games say 8 to 10 games where you think oh they've they really good in that spell there was on the whole, they've been poor, but still winning enough to achieve whatever their goals are at the time. Mm. Um, you know, getting to the Europa League final, I know they lost it, but they got to the final, get, still getting top four in the Premier League. And what concerns me about us is it's only winning these trophies that is papering over the cracks because the performances are, they're not bad, they're atrocious. They're, they are not even mid-table quality performances and people will think that's really harsh but I don't think it is because we're playing against a team now Palmeiras they was very well organised fair play to their coach they worked incredibly hard but I was watching that game and I thought if you put Man City or Liverpool on the pitch against these they are they are 3-0 up by now mm-hmm. because they are sitting up they're allowing us to play but our quality just isn't there to be fair Liverpool only won 1-0 against Flamengo in extra time when they had it in 2019 so yeah. I understand that. It, it, in the competition, it is difficult because I do, I think I said this before, I do think they're always more up for the game. Than oh, yeah, you can tell that. that. That to them is the big, the big one. And fair play, yeah. I mean, they've when they win it, they it's it's treated like a huge but, achievement. And it is, it really is. 
But I can guarantee you probably, if you went back and watched that game, I didn't watch it at the time. I, I certainly <laughs> but if you went back and watched that Liverpool game, I can imagine that they had more chances to finish the game off than just that one. Whereas we, I don't remember their keeper really making us a save. Mm. I think the the two times we hit the target, it went in. And but aside from that, I, I don't think their goalkeeper was troubled at all at any point. And that is a massive concern when you consider that our attacking players cost upwards of two hundred million pounds. Yeah. Something is seriously wrong. And I'll be honest with you though, I think Thomas Tuchel got away with one yesterday. I really Oof. did. I, I, I think his team selection was wrong. Persisting with this three at the back is, is really starting to annoy me because it, without James and Chilwell, it just doesn't work. Like it's, it's like someone needs to sit him down and just scream in his face that without these two players, it doesn't work. So stop doing it. The system does not work without those two players. So until both of them are back, stop doing it. Because I was disappointed when I was in the team sheet that it went to a back three again because I, I, I didn't understand it at all. Yeah, we both um, laughed, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, do, I just don't get it. I don't see what he sees that that's offering us at the moment. The only thing I can think is he, he, he knows it makes us defensively more solid. And it seems to me like it's, a, it's approaching games now not to lose rather than to win. And mm. that's what managers do when they know that the team's not in good form. They're just trying to rack up wins by any means necessary. But we've been doing that now for too long. And yeah. I thought his substitutions was baffling. Now, no one will talk about it because we won the game, but the substitutions just made no sense. You've, you've took off Lukaku, who has scored a goal and is the only player of that type that we've got, and you've brought on Timo Werner, who's completely different and had no space in behind to exploit anyway because Palmeiras was playing a low block. So I don't understand what he's in there, what Werner was going to achieve in that game. Not bringing on Jorginho, but bringing on Saul Neguez instead. I, I, I don't... I didn't that that one that one nearly blew my mind. I'm not going to lie. I didn't understand the fact the fact Angolo Kante stayed on the pitch the whole game. I thought was criminal because he was awful. Like, yeah, I don't know what's happened to him. Honestly, I think that might be the worst game I've ever seen him have. Oh man, it just did. It. I just felt sorry for him because he's done so well, but it just looked. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what he looked a shadow of his former self, and it was just like, what what's going on? He doesn't look fit to me. Mm, that's a problem. He, he looks leggy. He he can't get around the pitch as much. As he does. I don't think I remember him winning the ball back once in the entire game. When you consider that's what he's in the team to do, that's not great. No. Uh, you know the forward players again. They wasn't great. I mean, Lukaku scored the goal. He had a, a few more good link-ups with Pulisic, but again, not overly effective. Still being misused incredibly. I I'll stand by that. I mean. I think it showed how easy it is to get the best out of him by just putting an early cross in the box. But um, Pulisic, I thought, was the one highlight. I thought he'd come on and he played really well. Um, mm. Havertz, I've got to get this off my chest. Ah, <laughs> oh, people on Twitter. Right. Stop calling him a big game player. He scored in the Champions League final, and that's great. That was a big game. right? And he scored the winning goal. Fair enough. You can't call him a big game player because he scored a penalty in the 118th minute of this game. That doesn't make him a big game player. That makes him a good penalty taker. And it was a great penalty. Don't get me wrong. And the, the pressure of that penalty was, was massive. And he dispatched it with a, a coolness and a calmness. But in the game, he did nothing. In, in fact, he was actually guilty a few times of breaking down the attacks that we did manage to build. So 
get off that bandwagon. I seen someone on Twitter comparing him to Drogba, and I honestly almost Ooh. threw my phone out the window. <laughs> I, I thought, what is going on here? So let's let's forget about that. It, you know, it's a good penalty, but that's all it was. Before, what do you define as a big game player then? Drogba scored in finals on a consistent basis, not just finals, mm. big games, uh, you know, Champions League semi-finals against Liverpool in the Champions League, uh, uh, semi-final against Tottenham at Wembley. Yeah. Scoring big goals from open play and affecting the game in big matches. Yeah, Drogba, I was going to say about goals, because not always, you know, not everyone scores, but it's how they impact the game, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Drogba was the was the ultimate big game player. Even if he didn't score in a game, you can guarantee he had some involvement in something positive, and he would have bullied the centre-half. He always turned up when we needed him to. Uh, I don't think he ever scored a penalty in these big games either. I think that's the, the main key that I'm trying to get across, is that you look at his record in finals, none of the goals was penalties. Apart, apart from the very, very, very last one. Yeah, <laughs> if, yeah, and, and people brought that up about, well, Drogba's famous for scoring that penalty in Munich. He is, but he also scored in the game. Yeah. Play. So, you know, I mean, it, it's it's completely different. That, that, that's that been something that's been annoying me for the last 24 hours. So I, I had to get that off my chest. People might disagree, but you can't call him a big game player for scoring a penalty against Palmeiras. I'll, I'll bring up the stats from the 2019, the 2020 and the 2021 final, just for context. Uh, 2019, obviously, Liverpool beat Flamengo. They had 18 shots, six on target, uh, 48% possession. So you could uh, whatever. Flamengo had 14 shots, two on target, and obviously you can work out possession. Um, for 2020, Bayern had 19 shots, nine on target. UANL had three to one. Uh, they Bayern had 55% of the ball. Chelsea yesterday had 71%. Of course he did. Uh, Palmeiras got off 11 shots and only three on target. We had 22 shots, three on target. It just shows I mean, we don't get them on target enough. No, that start, that start is unbelievable. That's pretty you know, bad, actually. 20, 22 shots, you think, yeah, okay, that's good. Three on target is one of the worst percentages I think I've ever seen for shots on target from that number of shots. That is, that is god awful. That that means, that means you're not even close to scoring a goal mm. most of the time, and, and and most of them shots wasn't close. There was. You know, loopy headers off corners that just drifted over onto the roof of the net that was never going to go in. And shots from range, miles over the bar. Like Malang Sar had one quite late in the game where he thought he was going to score from 50 yards. And yeah, I honestly, no, like I had this, I ha- I've had this argument on Twitter this morning. Um, I think our attacking play, because we were playing against such a low block, which has been a problem for us now for a while. And I do think one of the main problems that happens for our team is when we play three attackers like we do, you've got your, your striker, in this case Lukaku, is marked by the two centre-backs, and then their full-backs mark our wide players. That's how you would traditionally set up anyway, and I understand that's what would happen in all games. But mm. if you watch Liverpool, Man City, Bayern Munich, they will create an overload where that player's got to leave their man. Now... Our fullbacks don't make brilliant runs off the ball to draw the attention of the of the opposition fullbacks, which would then leave space for our wingers to operate in. When they do make runs off the ball, they have such poor quality that eventually that fullback will just stop will just stop tracking them anyway because they're the least dangerous player out of the two. I think that's why we've seen such a big drop off without James and Chilwell because I think that's what those two do. They draw the attention of the opposition defender where he thinks, do I stay marking Mount or Havertz 
or do I go with James or Chilwell because they're just they're equally as dangerous and then that gives whoever doesn't get marked the space to operate and then from Lukaku's point of view or Havertz, Werner, whoever you want to put up there they're always marked 2v1 and we never ever have a midfielder who runs the other side of him which takes a centre-back away which allows then to us to create those 1v1 situations where it'd be Lukaku up against the centre-half just 1v1 we all our midfielders always stay ball side. Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, whoever it may be, they're always behind the play. They're ready to receive the ball backwards. And that's great, but they're not creating space for anyone. And I think this is why our attack is struggling so badly, because they're not being helped by midfield or the fullbacks in terms of creating space and drawing attention of defenders. I think you could set up a relatively good amateur team and they could mark our front three at the minute because all they have to do is mark that one man and that's their job. They don't have midfield runners or full backs to deal with and that is a massive concern. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll reinvest in the summer, we always do. I mean, we're going to have to, we'll have to see. Hopefully top four, I'm being quite calm. I mean, I'm, I'm not expecting us to walk it, but hey, we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, we're world champions and that's club football completed for Chelsea. It's, it's a time to be happy, but also there's obviously concerns, but hey, Will we uh, be heading off to Crystal Palace game? I think we're at home for that, I think. Might be. No, we're away. Oh, we're away. Oh, that makes it tougher. But we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, with that, we've come to the end of another episode of At The Bridge Pod. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram if you do not already follow us. So uh, do that for us. That'd be much appreciated. Uh, until Friday evening, that will be us signing off.